0: morning now though because the best message of the year already happened so uh you guys may as well just go home now like there's no point even staying for this today uh but uh, i hope you enjoyed christmas uh my wife and i and uh, our two children had a great christmas uh, christmas was fun uh before i had kids but i gotta tell you man once you have kids man christmas just goes to a whole nother level and i'm sure there's some parents out there that uh Know what I'm talking about, and uh, it was great. You know, we opened up a whole bunch of presents. You know, they had their first smack by 9 a.m. It was great. Uh, no, I'm only joking, I don't smack my kids. Um, but it was great, although I think I've got like a three day sugar hangover. I'm sure you guys uh, all know what I'm talking about. But uh, but what a great time to come around and celebrate the birth of Jesus, the fact that lights came into the world. You know, Luke says that. Uh, uh, a light shone in the darkness and I think that encapsulates uh, the, uh, the spirit of Christmas, the meaning of Christmas and everything that we celebrate at this time is the fact that there was darkness uh, in the world, there was darkness, spiritual darkness, there was physical darkness and in the midst of the darkness a light shone and that light is Jesus Christ and uh, that light is still shining today uh, both in individual people but also in communities and nations uh, and he is the light of the world. And, uh, and you know what, Christmas is such a great time. But today, we're actually going go to go the opposite end of the Bible. We're going we're gonna to start in Genesis 37. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Genesis 37, verse 3. We're going to be talking around the life of Joseph this morning. And, um, and I'm, I'm not going to skip over and just assume that everyone knows this story. So if you do know this story, it's going to be a good recap. And if you don't know this story, I'm going to lay a bit of a foundation before we Uh, start to extract some things from the life of joseph and uh, we're going to start in in chapter 37 verse 3 now israel and his name was jacob but god changed his name to israel now israel loved joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age also he made him a tunic of many colors but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There, was, there, we, there we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream. And he told it to his brothers and said, Look, I've dreamed another dream. And this dream, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, first of all, putting aside the fact that Joseph needs a quick lesson in public relations, that didn't actually work out that well for Joseph, see, because later on his his father sent him out to go and see what his brothers were doing and just check on their welfare. And his brothers saw him coming and they thought, well, here's our opportunity. Let's kill him. And so they hatched a plan to kill Joseph and everything was going to plan beautifully until Judah spoke up and he said, no, we can't kill Joseph. What were we thinking? Let's sell him. And so they sold him instead. They ripped off that coat that his father had given him and threw him in a pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites then sold him on to the Egyptians and the Egyptians sold him into slavery and ended up working in a guy in a guy's house called Potiphar. He worked for Potiphar and he was actually really good at what he did. Ended up becoming in charge of the whole house. But then Potiphar's wife falsely accused him of trying to seduce her and then he got thrown into prison. I mean, this guy just can't catch a break. He's been sold. He's been put in a pit. Now he's in prison. He interprets some dreams of his fellow prisoners. He says, it's not going to work out so well for you. For you, on the other hand, though, it's going to work out really well. And he said, when you get out of this prison, make sure you remember me. But he doesn't. He doesn't remember him until Pharaoh actually needs a dream interpreted. So he goes and in, interprets Pharaoh's dream. And he ends up becoming two IC of all of Egypt, the most powerful nation on the earth. He ends up becoming second in charge. And it all actually works out well for him after some pretty significant ups And some pretty significant downs. And most of us would have heard sermons that would pretty much revolve around the beginning of his life. But I actually want to flick all the way to Genesis chapter 50. And this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. Joseph is in his twilight years and he's toward the end of his life. And in fact, we actually read his thoughts on his deathbed. We're going to pick up the story in Genesis 50 verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, Perhaps Joseph will hate us and and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messages to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now therefore do not be afraid, I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Maccah, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out to this land bring out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Here we see Joseph at the end of his life, and this guy's a dreamer, granted. 17 years old, he's having like epic dreams about... Uh, what was going to unfold later on in his life. As a matter of fact, it was, it was dreams of the greatness that Joseph would achieve in his life. He was even dreaming that he would become so great that his, that his father and his mother and his brothers would actually all bow down to the earth before him. And sure enough, that did actually eventuate, and it was through the life of Joseph that God was able to not only save Israel, but also able to save the nations from a massive and severe famine. It was through Joseph's life that the world was saved. That was the greatness that Joseph Achieved, And sure enough, he dreamt that as a 17-year-old. But I don't want to so much talk about that. I want to talk about the other end of his life. Here he is, 110 years old. He is on his deathbed. And Joseph is saying to the children of Israel, God is surely going to come and visit you, take you out of this land and into the promised land, and you need to take my bones with you. In other words, Joseph is 110 years old, and Joseph is dreaming again. The message I've got for you this morning is it's time to dream again. It's time to dream again. Joseph was a dreamer from the beginning of his life right through to the end of his life. He's 110 years old and he's still got another dream from God. You may be in a season of your life you might think that it's the end of that season. You might think that there is death surrounding your life and your situation and your circumstance. You think things are coming to a close or in fact have come to a close and there is no way out. You might even be in a pit. You might even be in a prison. But the message this morning is that it's time to dream again. There is life in your dreams yet. And those dreams might not even be fulfilled in your life, it might actually be in the lives of your children, or in your children's children, that the dream that God has placed in your heart will actually come to fruition. But the point for today, and the message for today, is that the message and the dream that God has put in your heart, it's time to dream again. Let's have a look at the attitude of a dreamer. I mean, let's face it, Joseph had a tough life. His brothers stripped him of the love of his father, the symbol of the love of his father, the beloved multicolored coat that Jacob put on Joseph. His brothers stripped him of it, clothing him in shame instead of belovedness, threw him into a pit. Now he's surrounded in a pit only to be sold into slavery, to be thrown into a prison, to be falsely accused, to be forgotten about in prison. The guy had a tough life. But you know, one thing that we if we read, in verse 20, he says, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. In other words, what Joseph was saying is that past pains can produce future fruit. And an attitude of a dreamer recognizes that the past pain that we've experienced is actually some of the best recipes to produce future fruit in our lives. His perspective wasn't on what he went through, his perspective and his focus wasn't on the pit or the prison, his perspective was on the palace that God had planned him to go to because his perspective was on the fact that past pains produce future fruit. I'm sure we've all got past pains in this room this morning. You know, you've got some past pains. I've got some past pains. Even Pastor Sam has some. But you know what? What others meant for evil, what the enemy meant for evil, God can turn it around and produce some of the sweetest fruit in your life. But it takes the attitude of a dreamer. Now that's easier said than done, I'll grant you that. Life can be tumultuous at times. Life life can actually be pretty cruel. Ever since Cain killed Abel, there has been a manifestation and a spreading of evil and tragedy that has struck righteous and unrighteous people all through the halls of time. It's just a fact of life. In this fallen world, bad things happen to good people, sometimes for no other good reason at all apart from the fact that we live in an affected, fallen world. Others, at times, because of our own dumb choices, let's be honest. But our attitude and our perspective shouldn't be on the past pain. Our attitude and perspective should be on the future fruit, that God wants to take that situation, turn it around and produce something of value in your life. And not just for you. Notice that Joseph actually said, it was a meant to work out for good this day for not only myself but also for all the people that were saved through Joseph's life. Had his brothers not thrown him in a pit, had he not ended up in prison, had he not interpreted Pharaoh's dream, he might not have and probably wouldn't have been in a position to actually save the house of Israel from the severe famine that was inflicted on the world. You know, you're probably sitting there like I have done in the past with a fairly natural response that when somebody, you know, quotes some scripture or prophecy or, or promise that God says that your life is going to be great, your life is going to be good, uh, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, you know, I've got promises for you, you're going to be great, you're going to have awesomeness, you know, your children are going to be like brilliant and I have love and faithfulness for you. And you're like, yeah, but that's not my experience right now. That's not what I feel. It's not what I've been through. That might be what the Word of God says, but that's not evident in my life right now. Matter of fact, there is a, there is a verse that we often turn to, a very famous verse. Matter of fact, I have this verse sitting on my desk. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Man, isn't that an awesome verse? I love that verse. That verse speaks to me. Speaks to me today. God's thoughts are towards me. That's pretty cool. God loves me. How good's that? He wants a future and a hope and he's spoken it into my life. But often what we do in Christianity is we forget that Jeremiah 29.11 is actually preceded by Jeremiah 29.10. Let's read what Jeremiah 29.10 says. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon. Oh dear. But um, but, but I thought like you said that uh, your thoughts were for me. And that you wanted to give me a future and a hope. But it was 70 years of slavery first. 70 years of bondage first. And it's easy to go in those 70 years of, well, I know the thoughts that you have for me, God. Plans for a future and hope, he said. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're in Babylon in 70 years of captivity. What do you do in that situation? There was four of the guys in the Bible that we can read what they did. That prophet was Jeremiah. He, he, Daniel and his three mates, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, probably would have read that prophecy. They probably would have, would have heard that. The fact that, that, they, that God has a plan for them, that God has a future and a hope for them, that his plans and his thoughts are toward them. But meanwhile, Daniel's at the bottom of a lion's den. Where's that prophecy? Where's Jeremiah 29.11 when Daniel's at the bottom of a lion's den? When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are getting their arms and their feet bound, about to be thrown into a fiery furnace, were their thoughts on Jeremiah 29.11, about the thoughts and the purpose that God has for their life, about a future and a hope? about how if you call out to God, He will come. But see, the past pains can't be your perspective. It's the future fruit that needs to be your focus. Dreaming is a matter of perspective. See, you might be in Jeremiah 29.10, but your perspective needs to be Jeremiah 29.11. Your experience might be Jeremiah 29:10, but your focus needs to be 29:11. See, when Daniel was sitting at the bottom of a lion's den, he's not thinking about the 70 years of captivity. His focus was on the fact that, you know what, O king, God is going to shut the mouth of the lion and he's going to deliver me from this. When the three boys are getting thrown into the fiery furnace, they said, King Nebuchadnezzar, God might save us, God might not. But the fact is, we know that his thoughts are toward us. And even if you kill us, we're still going to worship him because he's got a future and a hope for us. Their situation was 29.10. Their focus and their perspective was 29.11. A dreamer's attitude is just a matter of perspective. You might call me a dreamer, but I'm going to tell you, I'm not a dreamer. I've just got a right perspective. We could both look at the same situation. You could call me a dreamer, but it's not a dream. It's the fact that I'm standing on the promises of God, and I'm living in the perspective of what He said instead of what's actually happening around me. We need to live and focus on 29.11, even though my situation might be 29.10. In verse 23, we understand that Joseph understood this because he says, Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Macca and the son of Manasseh were also brought up on Joseph's knees. I love that. Do you know why I love that? Because if we, if we actually flick over to Genesis 41, 51 and 52, we find out what those names mean. What Manasseh and Ephraim mean. These are his boys. These are Joseph's boys. In verse 51 of chapter 41, it says, Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And 52, it says, In the name of the second he called Ephraim, For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. See what his perspective is there? He's just got two boys. And he calls these boys based on the focus and the perspective of God's plan for his life. And what God has produced in his life, not what circumstance has brought into his life. You know, I think for some of us, if we were to call those boys, if we were to name those boys, and we had gone through what Joseph went through, we probably would have named the boys, life's tough, and then you die. (laughs) But Joseph said, God has caused me to forget. He's caused me to forget. Yeah, there's been pain in my life. Yeah, there's been tragedy in my life. Yeah, I've been stripped, I've been shamed, I've been thrown in a pit and in prison, but God has caused me to forget. And even in the land of my affliction, God has caused me to be fruitful. That was his perspective. His perspective wasn't on what he was in or the pain that he went through. His focus was on what God had produced in his life. You know, Samuel Rutherford puts it this way. Samuel Rutherford was a commissioner of, of Westminster. And I love what he said. He lived in the 1700s and he said it this way. Believe God's word and power more than you believe your own feelings and experience. Your rock is Christ. And it is not the rock that ebbs and flows, but your sea. I love that. Believe in the power and the word of God. Not in your emotions and your experience. For your rock is Jesus Christ, and it's not your rock that ebbs and flows, it's your sea. That is a great position, that's Joseph's position, that should be our position, that sure, our life might ebb and flow. Life may go up, life may go down. There may be tragedy come, there might be triumph come, but it doesn't doesn't matter what happens around us because life will ebb and flow. But what we have is we have our feet planted on the rock, Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ, he does not move. He does not change. His promises are true yesterday. His promises are going to be true tomorrow. Regardless of your experience, regardless of your emotion, the Word of God is never ending. Matter of fact, it says, God. not only does God not move, there isn't even a shadow of turning in God, because nothing about God changes. If you plant your feet on the rock and the promise of Jesus Christ, if you bury your life in Him, it would be regardless of what happens around you, because your rock Does not move. Absolutely. I think we should clap God for the fact that he doesn't move. I think we should (laughs) praise God for the fact that we can rely on him. That his faithfulness is true. That his love is never ending. That his peace is ever rebounding. And what a perfect time of year to remember that. That because God had a plan to bring us back to himself. He gave his son because his faithfulness is everlasting, it's not going to change, it's never, never, never ceasing. God does not move. You know, Joseph is actually a type of Christ. You might have heard this before. There's actually, um, there's actually many, many similarities in Joseph's life that is, that is also represented in Jesus' life. Joseph is a type of Jesus. This is why I love Bible prophecy because there are, there are things that are happening in Joseph's life that is recorded, that are fulfilled in Jesus' life, and we can see that both of them have actually had a lot of the same experiences, because Joseph was actually a revealing of the future Son of God. I'm just going to give you a couple. These are only a couple. The list is actually quite exhaustive, but I've just picked out a few just to paint a bit of a picture for you. Both were beloved of their fathers. Both were envied and hated without cause they were both they both foretold that one day they would rule they were both sent by the father to seek their brother's welfare they both kept seeking until they found him they both were rejected and condemned to die they were both stripped of their clothing. They were both sold for silver pieces. They were both thrown into a pit. They were both raised from a pit. They both became a servant. They were both falsely accused. And they were both condemned along other transgressors, one of which would die, one of which would be raised to life. They were both not recognised by their brethren, and they both saved the world. And they were both eventually will. Jesus will eventually be revealed to his brethren again. Joseph was ultimately revealed, but Jesus is about to be revealed. Zechariah prophesies that when Jesus comes down, the man of olives, the Israelites are going to say, where did you get those wounds in your hands and your feet? And he's going to say, in the house of my friends. And at that moment, all of Israel is going to recognize the fact that Jesus was their Messiah and he's going to be revealed, much like Joseph Was revealed to his brethren. But I think my favorite, two of my favorite similarities between the life of Jesus and the life of Joseph was that they both married a Gentile bride and produced offspring. You should be excited about that because that actually talks about you guys. If it wasn't for the fact that Jesus married a Gentile bride and produced offspring, we wouldn't be sitting here today. Absolutely, I love the church. But I reckon my favorite, my favorite similarity, and this just really speaks to my heart, is the fact that towards the end, when Joseph is wanting to reveal himself to his brethren, he sends them away with grain because there was a massive famine in the land, and his brothers came to Egypt to try and buy grain from Egypt. And guess who's in charge of the grain? the little brother that they sold. Whoops. They don't know this though. They don't recognize him. And so Joseph gives them the grain and he sends them on their way. But in the youngest boy's sack, he puts a silver cup. Now if you know what silver represents in the Bible, silver silver is often a symbol of redemption. Redemption. And if you knew the youngest boy's name, his name was Benjamin. Benjamin translated is son of my right hand. And so in the son of my right hand goes carrying a silver cup of redemption. Much like Jesus, the son of my right hand that sits at the right hand of God, carries a silver cup of redemption for you and I. And that is why we can live the life of a dreamer. That is why we can live with a different perspective. Is because Jesus, the Son of my right hand, has come delivering a silver cup of redemption. Joseph was a dreamer at the beginning of his life, he was a dreamer at the end of his life. You and I have got dreams don't we? First of all, I want you to trust the fact that the dreams in your heart are actually placed there by God. They really are. you got a story. I know you do. you got a story. I've got a story. We've all got stories. But you know what? There's a different story about our life as well. There's the one that we've experienced and the one that we've gone through, but there's also the story that God's written about our life. And the thing I love about the story that God has written about our life is this, it contains a silver cup of redemption. The story that God has written over us is a silver cup of redemption. And why, why is that important? Well, it gives us access to the every spiritual blessing. Ephesians 1.3 says that through Jesus Christ, we have now access to all spiritual blessings because we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are with Christ. We have access to every spiritual blessing. Why? Because a silver cup of redemption was brought into the world at Christmas time and was sacrificed 33 years later on Calvary. And so when I say, and when God says, it's time to dream again, it's time because you can place your feet on the Word of God. It's time because you've got access. To that silver cup of redemption, It's time to rewrite the story of what you've experienced and let God turn what it was intended for evil into producing a future fruit from your life. Let's see what happened to Joseph. Let's turn to Exodus 13:19. In Exodus 13 and 19, it says, "And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him." For he had placed the children of Israel under a solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. See what he stood on there? He stood on the promise of God. See what he built his dream on there? He built it on what God said. You've got a story, but God's got a story. He's written it about you. Most of it is actually contained in this. We'll actually have some variations from your life to my life, but there's promises that have been written about you. Joseph understood this, and when he started to dream, at 110 years old, when it looks like things are closing off, when it looks like there is no way out, when it looks like things are coming to a close, Joseph is still lying there on his deathbed, laying there dreaming the dreams of God. Why? Not because of the physical circumstance he was in, but because God had said, because God had promised. Because God's word was revealed to him and he knew that he would return. And so he's saying to the Israelites, make sure you promise that you take me to the promised land because God is going to come back. Why do I know? Because God had said. We should have a similar response when we get into the word and we hear the promises that come from this. But it's not that easy. I know it's not that easy because sometimes we're just a 17-year-old dreaming of greatness. And we're like, how on earth am I ever at 17 going to achieve that? Well, I've got to tell you this morning, if that's you, if you're a teenager with a dream of God in your life, it's time to dream again. But maybe that's not your story. Maybe you're already in a pit. Maybe you're further down the line. Maybe everywhere you look is a dead end, a pit of worry, a pit of of negligence, a pit where nothing is going to fulfill anything in your life and it doesn't look like God is anywhere. It's time to dream again. But maybe you're in prison. Maybe you tried that dream. Maybe you even got somewhere. Maybe you even ended up in the head of Potiphar's house only to be falsely accused. And now you're in bondage. Now you're in chains. Now you're in a prison. Well, the Word of God this morning is it's time to dream again. And there's definitely people here that are in a situation where they think it's already ended. It's already over. They're wrapping up, ready to say goodbye. I'm not talking physically. I'm just talking in the situation and circumstance in their life. It looks like the dreams of God in your life are lying on their deathbed. Well, it's you this morning I really want to speak to. There's dreams that you've laid down on a deathbed that God wants to speak and breathe life into it and he wants to speak directly to you and say, it's time to dream again. It's time to dream again. Pick up those dreams. Pick up those dreams that are built on the promises of God. I want you to breathe life into them. I want you to start prophesying into them. I want you to start declaring them based on the word of God. Why don't we all stand this morning? I want you to stand with the dream that God's placed in your heart. You know what it is. It might seem unreachable a moment. God's got a purpose for your life. He really does. It might seem like Jeremiah 29.10 at the moment. And you know what? Even if you are in Jeremiah 29.10 and you've got 70 years of bondage and captivity in front of you, live 71 and still fulfill the promise of God in your life. It's still going to happen. Jeremiah 29.11 will come. time to dream again everyone just close your eyes right now there are definitely dreams that want to come to life this morning god spoke to me very early in the week about this message and there are dreams that god wants to breathe life into this morning dreams that you've laid down dreams that you think are dead buried and gone but it's time to dream again that is god's word for you this morning raise your hands to heaven right now if you're a christian If you pray to God and you pray to God in a spiritual language, I want you to start speaking in that spiritual language this morning. And if you don't, just start praising God. Just start praising God. Come on, let's start just reaching out, reaching out to God. Just start speaking to God in your own language. Start praising God. Dreams are going to come to life this morning. Dreams are going to come to life this morning. Dreams that are dead. Dreams that are gone. Dreams are going to come back. It's time to dream again, church. There's schools here that need people to dream again. There's communities, there's families that need you guys to dream again. North Brisbane and Redcliffe need us to dream again. We need to pick up the dreams that God's got. Stand it on the promise of God. Don't look at your circumstance. Don't feel your emotion. Focus on the rock. Jesus Christ, it's time to dream again. Start praying. Start praying. Lift up your voice right now. Lord, we just declare right now, Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your love. God, I speak into the hearts of every single one in front of me right now. God, I release your presence, Holy Spirit, right across this room. And God, I speak to the dreams. Come to life, dreams. Come to life. It's time to dream again, church. Holy Spirit, just minister right now. Holy Spirit, right now. Right across, church. Come on, let's worship God. Let's worship God. Let's worship God. Come on. It's time to dream again. Jesus. Businesses that need to come to life. There are businesses that need to come. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Praise you, Jesus. There's a business idea that somebody has here this morning. You've had it for about five years now, and you thought the window of opportunity has closed. God wants to tell you this morning it's time to dream again. It's time to dream again. You think you missed your opportunity, but you haven't. It's time to dream again. There's also a family here who's been praying for a family member for years and years. I think about eight years, you've been praying for this family member, and you think the door is shut. You think that it's closed. You think that dream is dead, buried, and gone. God wants to tell you it's time to dream again. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, God. She goes, There's a dream in this room that's lacking strategy. And Right now, you just said to God in your heart right then, God, I don't know how to do it. God, I got the dream, but I don't know how. God wants to say to you, He's going to give you the strategy. He's going to give you the strategy. You've been blocked before because you literally didn't know what to do. God's going to breathe life into that dream again and He's also going to give you the strategy. Start praying strategy into your life. If that's you, pray as you go. Jesus, she got Praise you, God. Praise you, Jesus. I just want to sing that song, Nancy. Let's sing You Have Rescued Me. I just want to spend just a couple more minutes. I want you to sit, just between you and Holy Spirit, just start doing business. 2016 is going to be a significant year. A significant year for dreams. Praise you. Take me. You might not know Jesus at all, and this might seem a bit foreign to you. You don't even know what a silver cup of redemption means. Like That just sounds like like weirdo stuff to you. But let me put it this way too. There is a a natural darkness that we are just born into, a natural tragedy that comes into our life, and it's because we're separated from God. And that was a situation we were never going to overcome ourselves. It was a hopeless situation. But God's plan was always for us to be together. And if you're not with God, He is so keen for you to be with Him. Matter of fact, so keen that Jesus did come into this life as a baby, which is what we just celebrated, and He died a perfect sacrifice so that we could be reconciled back to God. And if you've never been reconciled back to God and you want to experience and know what that is, I'm just going to invite you right now, while all eyes are closed, just to give me a wave so that you can acknowledge, yeah, I want to be close to God again. I want to be reconciled back to the Father. I want to experience what that perfect love is. If that's you, thank you. I see that hand. Is there anyone else? I see that hand. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wants to come back to the Father right now? I see that hand. Is there anyone else right now who wants to come back, accept the perfect love of Jesus, and be reconciled? Awesome. I'm just going to just one more look across the room and then we're going to pray for those people. Anyone else? Anyone else? That's great. We're just going to pray for those people right now. If you just repeat after me, I'm going to lead you in a real simple prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you chose me. I accept your love. I accept your life. I acknowledge Jesus as my God and my King. And And I choose to turn away from my life. life. And I I choose to pursue the life of Jesus. Amen. That's how simple it was. You just became a child of God. You just entered the kingdom of God. Why don't we give Jesus a big round of applause? Why don't we give Him praise? Praise you, Jesus. That is a great way to finish a Christmas weekend, isn't it, huh? Accepting the gift that we received at Christmas. You literally just received the best Christmas present ever. Absolutely. Come on, let's give God a big shout of praise this morning. Church, this week, make sure you grab the dreams that God has placed in your heart. Trust Him. God's put them there. God's put them there. You know what? It's probably pretty closely aligned to the gifts that He's also put in your life as well. You know, he's not going to give you a dream without the ability to do it. Just start talking to him about it because that was the message for today, that God wants to breathe life into your dreams. It's time to dream again. Turn to your person next to you and tell them it's time to dream again. Hey, make sure you don't come to church tonight. Make sure you hang out with your family and have some more trifle. We're going to go out praising God. We'll see you next week, church.